We are in Acts chapter 24 in this video class. Luke is the writer, and in the last several chapters of Acts, he traces the last years and travels of the Apostle Paul. This might be called a running account of Paul's defenses of his work before the Jews and the Romans. The Jews who rejected Christ, of course, rejected Paul, and eventually they were able to turn Paul over to the Romans. They hope to get rid of him forever. All of that is playing out on these last few pages in the book of Acts, and this time we are in Acts chapter 24. Four fast facts. The location of the chapter, Caesarea. The Roman official is Felix. The defendant is the Apostle Paul. The prosecutor is Tertullus. That brings us now to Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 21. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the government their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him by examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years... I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult, but some Jews from Asia 
they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than that there was this one thing I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. So here's what we have. The Jewish people from Jerusalem have managed to get Paul to Caesarea, and now they must make their case before Felix. Remember, their purpose is to take Paul's life. That has been evident in passages prior to this, Acts 22.22 and Acts 23.12. Felix is the Roman procurator. He is like an agent, governor, and judge for Rome in the Jewish land. It may not surprise you when I say that Felix was corrupt. Much evidence exists for that. He had not been a good Roman administrator. He was greedy, we will see that, immoral. I found this entry about Felix in Smith's Bible Dictionary. According to Smith's Bible Dictionary, the name Felix means happy. A Roman procurator of Judea appointed by the Emperor Claudius in A.D. 53. He ruled the province in a mean, cruel, and reckless manner. His period of office was full of troubles and seditions. Paul was brought before Felix in Caesarea. He was remanded to prison and kept there two years in hopes of extorting money from him. At the end of that time, Porcius Festus was appointed to succeed Felix, who, on his return to Rome, was accused by the Jews in Caesarea and would have suffered the penalty due his atrocities had not his brother Paulus prevailed with the emperor Nero to spare him. This was probably about A.D. 60. The wife of Felix was Drusilla, daughter of Herod Agrippa I, who was his third wife and whom he persuaded to leave her husband and marry him. So you have packaged together in that whole description corruption. Felix may have been happy in terms of what his name meant, but he wasn't really a good person. Now, at this hearing, there is the corrupt high priest Ananias, some of the Jewish elders, and this man Tertullus, who is the prosecutor. He will be the voice of the Jewish unbelievers. Tertullus' opening remarks are typical political flattery and endeavored to capture the judge's heart and goodwill. The prosecutor says to Felix, since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. Well, all the history we have indicates this was way exaggerated. In fact, it might be called nauseating flattery. Felix was brutal and corrupt. Nevertheless, here's the case. Prosecutor Tertullus presents before the Roman court of Felix against Paul. 
The case against Paul. Here's an outline of it. The man is a plague. The New English Bible says a perfect pest. He stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. He is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He tried to profane the temple. Then Tertullus adds he is guilty of everything. Everything the Jews say about him. That's it. Evidence? None. Verse 9, the Jews also joined in the charge affirming that all these things were so. Now, let me give you a quick version of this. Tertullus begins by saying, Felix, you are such a great leader. Tertullus says, this, this, this Paul over here is a bad guy. And the Jews chime in and say, yes, Felix, that's right. Paul's a bad guy. There is no case. This is the point where the judge should have said, in the absence of evidence, this case is dismissed. Get out of here. You're wasting my time. Instead, Felix gives the floor to Paul, and Paul speaks very simply and briefly. I'm going to read to you from the second part of verse 10 over through verse 21 from the New International Version. This is Paul on this occasion. He says, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is according to the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After the absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me, or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. As we look back on this case so far in this chapter of Acts, and we reflect on what Paul said we just read. Do you remember what Jesus said about how the Holy Spirit would give the apostles the words they would speak 
not only in their preaching and teaching, but Jesus said, Luke 12, verse 12, when these men stood before officials in court, in hearings, the Holy Spirit would speak through them, give them their words. That's what's happening here, I think. In Caesarea, Paul speaks before Felix, words given to him directly by the Holy Spirit. It is clear, orderly, perfectly objective defense. You would hope again at this point, Felix would dismiss the accused and end the whole process here. But we're going to discover Felix has heard something that he's interested in. Now, here was Paul's public confession of faith. I worship the God of our fathers. I believe everything that agrees with the law and the prophets. I have the same hope in God as these men, and I strive always to keep my conscience clear. So, with all that in mind in Acts chapter 24, Let's continue now at verse 22 through 27. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present, when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now, at first, some of this seems to sound reasonable. If you knew nothing much about Felix, you might see this as hopeful. Felix knows something about the way of Christ. He says he will continue this after another witness has arrived. He put them off, saying, When Lysias the tribune comes, I will decide your case. After a few days, though, Felix and his wife send for Paul and want to hear from him about faith in Christ Jesus. I want us to look at verse 25 for a minute, and then we'll come back to it. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Now, I said to you a few minutes ago, there was something else Felix was interested in. That brings us to verse 26. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. 
The key word in verse 26 and preeminent in the mind of Felix is money. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Here's what I believe is obvious. Clearly implied by this narrative, Paul didn't give Felix a dime. We know something from earlier studies, don't we? Back in Acts 11 and in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the money Paul collected from churches was not payoff money for some official. It wasn't for Paul to distribute to just anyone or use for just any purpose. It was for poor Christians. Acts 2, 44, 45, Acts 4, 34 and 35, Acts 11, 29, Romans 15, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8, and chapter 9. You may recall what Peter said. When someone asked him for a handout from collected funds earlier in the book of Acts, he said, silver and gold have I none. Acts 3 and verse 6. From a worldly standpoint, it would have been easy for Paul to pay off Felix, but he would not violate that trust God and brethren put in him with respect to the distribution of that money. Paul would not be guilty of misappropriation. Further, by now, there's no evidence Paul still had any of that money. Felix just heard that Paul had at one time carried some money for benevolence. Felix had his eye on that money, didn't get any, so Paul remained in prison during the transition from Felix to Porcius Festus. Felix was doing the Jews a favor. Justice is difficult to achieve where there is an interest in money and in favoring a certain party to an action. Takeaways. Here's something basic. There is a difference between accusations and evidence. You see this in the case of Jesus, before that John the Baptist, and now in the case of Paul. Evil men will simply make accusations and resent it when reasonable people ask for evidence. Christians know this and ought never to forget it. We cannot just make a charge against somebody we don't like and then just expect everybody to assume that there is evidence somewhere. A charge demands a follow-up, and that follow-up is always evidence or proof. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Test everything, prove all things. We must be careful. We never use the evil tactics of the unbelieving Jews. A charge or accusation must be accompanied by objective evidence. We, of all people, should be well acquainted with the necessary role of evidence to confirm charges. Number two, I want you to go back to verses 14 and 15, and once again, we're going to mark that expression that occurs several times, the way. I mentioned the other day, you never read of an apostle saying, 
Folks, you just do whatever you like and join the church of your choice and pick any way to heaven that suits you and we'll see you there. No, it is the way, singular. Now, notice it was called a sect. S-E-C-T. Let's talk about that. A sect is a group of people who are part of a larger group. For instance, within Judaism, there were various sects, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots. A sect is a group of people who are part of a larger group. Well, Christians were called a sect, and the implication was they were sort of an offshoot of Judaism. Paul says and implies that's what we are called, but that's not what we are. We are not a sect or a part of something else. We are believers in God, believers in Christ and Scripture, having a hope in God, believing everything laid down by the law and the written in the prophets. The church is not a part of old Judaism. A local church is not a part of a universal church in some sort of denominational setup or connection. As individuals, we are members of the body of Christ. Locally, we gather together and do what God asks us to do, but we are not a sect. Now, I want to take us to verses 24 and 25. We need to look at that. In Acts 24, I want us to look at verses 24 and 25. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. Go away for the present. When I have opportunity, I will summon you. You know, what a lot of people want in preaching is vague, generic, make-me-feel-good messages loaded with entertainment and slogans and sentiment and humor. Paul, in this passage, illustrates the kind of specific, direct preaching people need then and now. I think there isn't any doubt Felix and his wife needed to hear truth from God on these specific matters. Righteousness is that which is morally good as defined by God himself. Self-control is that capacity to discipline yourself and say no to sin, to control your actions and your emotions in a way that God made you capable of. Judgment to come is the reality that whoever you are, whatever you've done, you will stand before God to give an answer. Did you notice what is said about the reaction of Felix? It says he was alarmed. One effect of gospel preaching is to make sinners uncomfortable. And the hope is they will be so convicted in their sin and so attracted to the promises of the gospel, there will be change. If you have been involved in any kind of unrighteousness and you hear righteousness proclaimed, if you have not applied good self-control to your life and you hear 
preaching and teaching that shows the value of discipline. If you've not thought much about judgment to come and that reality is boldly presented to you, it can be disturbing. It causes some inner alarm of conscience. And the hope is you will act on that. You will repent and be baptized. Let me say here, when preaching from God causes the alarm of personal conscience to go off, God is giving you an opportunity. What you do with that is connected to what will happen to you after you die. Felix was blessed with this great opportunity to hear preaching perfectly suited to his proclivities and sins. By the way, let's tie up some people connections here. You remember back in Acts 12, James was killed by Herod, and later Herod died. An angel of the Lord struck him down. Well, look here in Acts 24, 24, Felix is with Drusilla. She is Herod's daughter. She was six years old when her father Herod died. She married Azizus and then had an affair with Felix, and Felix took her. When she left Azizus and ran off with Felix, she was 14. Paul is preaching precisely the message these people need to hear. We should admire Paul, and preachers should imitate his courage and response to what people need. Paul never proclaimed the good news in a vacuum, however, always in a context, the context of the personal lives of the hearers. Drusilla's sister is Bernice, whom you will meet in the next chapter. So, here's a summary. The theme of Paul's defenses continue in Acts chapters 24 to 26. The setting for his testimony shifted from Jerusalem to Caesarea, from the Jews to the Roman officials. Still, the primary focus, more and more, the primary focus was on the Jewish antagonism toward Paul without specific charges and evidence. The Roman officials become more and more convinced that Paul had broken none of their laws. Still, in the face of strong Jewish opposition to Paul, they were hesitant to release him. Only an appeal to Caesar removed Paul from the very real prospect that the officials would ultimately give in to pressure and turn him over to the Jews. Thank you for being a part of our study in Acts chapter 24.